Welcome. 14th of September, Singavio Gugu Hangout, um, CPD accredited. We're on YouTube. You can watch us later. We've got podcasts so you can download and listen to us on the train on the way home. And you can sign up to receive emails. And you can also sign up to receive on screen notifications. Just turn someone's sound down. Now, it's been a long time since we actually had a podcast because we closed down for the summer. But we're here and back with the team. Actually, Scotland have got the day off. But other than Scotland, we have Del Henry over here. Hi, everyone. We have Ed, Jeffs. Afternoon. Uh, and we have guests, Daniel Montlake and Sivan Gelb. And we're going to tell you more about them later. All right. So those we're going to introduce the guests later. So that's laying the scene. So we all had a nice summer. Everyone had a nice summer. And now we're back. It's a bit of echo. It's a bit of echo. I'm going to turn you. I'm going to turn you guys down um, in your office. So we just, if you want to say anything, I'll just shout or wave. Right. Let's go through what's happened in the last few months. Now everyone thinks that the market's been really slow, really slow over the summer. But actually, that's not the case. At Singaviel, we've actually been very busy. So, who's going to show us what we've been doing? Who's going, who's going through our sales? I'll, um, I'm happy to kick off. Right, Dale, you're going to go through the sales, yeah? Well, I was going to just give a quick overview of some of the sales we've, we've done over the summer. Just some, just some recent activity our end. Are you muted, Dale? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah? Why? Am I? Um... I'll just yeah, I'll just just let everyone know what what we've been up to over the summer, um, which has actually been quite a busy summer for us. We've we've managed to uh, sell a number of properties over August. Um, so just quickly running through, we we have exchanged on a car showroom investment in Liverpool, which was a Fiat showroom let to Stoneacre with about eleven years unexpired, which we sold for Schroders. Um, at a figure of 2.2 million, which is 6.28%, which was acquired by another institution. We have also recently sold a retail investment in Northampton Town Centre, let to Labrooks, for another eight years, which actually failed to sell previously by one of the auction houses. Uh, we quoted 900 and achieved over asking 915,000, seven and three quarter percent. We've sold a multi-let investment up in Gateshead, which was a trade counter-industrial retail site, which we sold for 2.9 million, seven and three quarter percent. Um, and what else? We've just recently sold a co-op investment down in Ivybridge with 10 years unexpired, which we've got 6.5% for. 
2.73 million. And the guys up in Scotland have also been busy over the summer. They've sold a couple of retail investments, one in Irvine and one in Montrose. So, yeah, despite the market being quiet, it has been a, a busy summer for us. Um, in terms of current sales, I'll, I'll hand over to Ed, who will just give a quick run through of the, the sales we've bought to the market, we've got in the market now or bought to the market in the last week or so. So I'll hand over to Ed. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but so basically, we've got a few sales in the market at the moment. First of all, we've got a food store investment in Poole Town Centre. It's left to Sainsbury's with over five years remaining on the lease. And we're quoting £1.3 million, which shows a net initial yield of 6%. We've also got a bank investment on the high street in Fort William. Let's Bank of Scotland with 13 years left on the lease. We're asking £850,000, which shows a net initial yield of 5.75%. Uh, in Tamworth, Devon, we have a town centre retail investment led to Subway. Four and a half years left on the lease. We're asking £350,000 for it, and that shows an initial yield of 6.9%. Uh, we also have a multi-let high street retail investment air town centre, which is led to Burger King and the Works. We're asking £1.1 for it, which reflects an initial yield of 8.32%. And finally, in Trowbridge Town Centre, we have a co-op funeral care investment with five years remaining on the lease. We're asking £255,000 and that shows a net yield of 6%. Back with me. Okay. Unmute. Right. Yeah, we've got a bit of feedback. I think we've got a bit of a feedback issue. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's because... Because Mr. Henry has logged in twice. Never mind. Hold on. Can you, can you, uh, can you hear me, guys? Ed, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear. You. Okay, right. Let's go through. Let's go through some of the news, shall we? So, we've got new sales coming up. That's the first thing I want to mention to you, just so people are aware. We've got sales coming up in. Ooh, what's going on? We've got sales coming up in West Ealing, a shop in West Ealing. So if anyone's interested, let us know. Near Crossrail, we've got a new roadside retail unit coming up in the northwest. Office in Colchester, retail block in Peter Lee, little shop in York, etc., etc. So if you want to buy a property, you know where to come because we've got plenty. It's coming out our ears. Right, let's talk about main news and what's going on in the market. Um, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of... I'm going to sort of switch you on and off, wave, because there seems to be some feedback from your computer for some reason. So if you need to say anything, um, just and I haven't put you on to speak, just wave, right? So we know. Right, let's go on. Let's go on to some news, and we can all talk about the news, right? The main news I thought was quite interesting. Let me share a page with everyone who's watching. So as we probably all saw today, John Lewis's reported a 99% crash in profits and Dominic Raab, whatever his name is, just said that it had nothing to do with Brexit. Hmm. 
what a load of nonsense. I, I, I think that um, I don't normally like to talk politics, but I'm going to talk politics. I think that Brexit is the biggest disaster for the property market that is uh, that, that I can ever remember. And I think is going to be a nightmare going forward. Now, it probably won't be as bad as um, everyone thinks it might be. But it is, it's causing such uncertainty that everyone is very worried. And it has affected the general property market without question in the investment market that we work in. Having said that, Singavial have been very busy and we are still selling property. So people are clearly looking for a hedge and are still clearly looking to buy property as a counter against the issue of Brexit. The other thing that I thought we should mention is that Mark Carney today said that house prices would crash by a third if there was a no deal Brexit. Well, if ever you want to cause a housing market crash, you just need someone like Mark Carney of the Bank of England to tell everyone it's about to crash. So indeed it does crash. I think that was a complete nonsense of him saying anything. It doesn't help anybody. I don't know why he did it. So as you can probably guess, I am no fan of Brexit. And I don't mind saying I never talk politics, but I do think it's causing all of his issues. And what do you guys think in Queen Anne Street? Well, I'm certainly no fan of Brexit. It's hit us pretty hard um, from, a, from a perspective. Uh, we were dealing a lot of uh, overseas transactions, and which has seemed to have um, almost dried up completely. So um, I'm certainly no fan of Brexit. I think it's, uh, it's had a negative impact on business, confidence. And I think people are just sitting tight, waiting to see what happens. I think that's been the case for... Well, sort of the best part of two years now. So, um, yeah. I mean, Why do you think uh, having your foreign buyers, what part of the world? Well, we had a big influx from Greece uh, when, when, their, when their economy sort of tanked. So uh, they were sort of um, frantically trying to buy up in London. Uh, but I also had a, a large market from, uh, from the States. Um, they were sort of um, looking to London, looking to the property market in London. I think that's, I think they, I think they're pretty much taken a wait and see, and see what happens. Um, they, they initially received quite a bit of a boost when the um, when the pound collapsed as well, so that gave them a bit of an incentive. But since then, I think they've they've all sit, sat tight and um, trying to see how how things move on. And um, I think I just think it's the uncertainty. I think it's all to do with the uncertainty. I think once uh, we know what we're doing, where we're going, I'm hoping that things will start start to pick up. Yeah, I th you know what? I think I always think I think it's always helpful and useful talking to lawyers who are at the coalface because actually you've got the clients who've actually got the purse strings, you know, and they're the ones buying. Yeah. I, I, but the funny thing is, I said to you, we've actually had a very busy August, and even the things that um, Dale and Ed have been talking about that we've recently put in the market, we've had people moving very quickly. So people still see property as a hedge. I'm, I'm slightly cynical about this view that people are buying properties in the UK because the pound is low because who's to say it's not going to go lower and and unfortunately maybe the pound has reached its level that it will be at for a while I hope not but you yeah. never know but so I think Brexit is a big problem for us but like I said I cannot understand why Mark Carney had to open his mouth today on the papers I just don't see what the benefit is it causes nothing but um if you're about to tell you, if I was about to exchange on my house today, I would be walking round to the to the vendors off house with the newspaper in my hand, saying, "Look, how much discount are you going to give me?" Yeah, yeah but can, can, can I say I do think that it is 
today is there's quite a lot of media spin. I'm not sure they have sort of twisted it a bit in terms of what he said because I don't think actually what he said is anything too. Uh, I think he came out and said the same thing in November because they do these stress tests all the time, don't they? To or every so often to ensure to ensure that if there was a doomsday scenario, that the, the the banking system can withstand, you know, worst case extreme financial tests. So I think he actually they said in November that that, that you know the worst case there'd be a thirty percent fall, but it just they they've jumped on it. The media, you know, just given that the nearer we get to Brexit, and I I, I, I don't think I think it's I think it's really not. It's based on a complete doomsday scenario, so, which we could be heading to. We could be heading towards, but anyway, I do think it's it. They have spun it a bit. That's okay. My... All right. Well, you may be right, but he, what he could have done is come out and actually say something positive. But um, the other the other news over the summer actually is again. I don't normally talk politics, but it's had such an impact on the property industry is that I think that the Tory party are in a complete mess and I think the Labour party are in a complete mess. And I think that there's ground for a central new party which could arise and hopefully bring some stability, which would actually be very nice to see, to be honest with you. I mean, if you think Brexit is, is causing uncertainty for the property market, if Mr Corbyn were to walk into number 10, God help us! I, I I think it would be the biggest disaster in the property market in my lifetime. I wouldn't. You would. There'll be no more Google Hangouts because I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so I don't, I don't. That's what I think. Anyway, let's not let's not worry too much about that. Let's. I, what the other thing I wanted to mention, actually, in terms of news, which I think people might find quite interesting, is let me show you guys something. The government, the law society, rather just a few weeks ago, brought out a consultation paper on the execution of documents by electronic signature. And this is, this is very, very recent, 21st of August. Um, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys saw that. Did you see that? Yeah. I have seen that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very interesting because that's, I'm very into electronic signatures and the impact upon uh, the property market with our click-to-purchase system and how we use that to sell buildings. So it's very interesting that the Law Commission have actually brought something out. And if anybody wants to a link to that, just get in touch. And I'll, and I, you'll find it pretty easily, actually. But if you need a link, get in touch. I'll send it to you. But what's interesting, their conclusion from the Law Commission, whilst it's a consultation paper, is they don't think the law needs changing when it comes to electronic signing of contracts. And they're asking for people's view. And, I'm, and they are talking about things like IDAS and advanced electronic signatures and qualified electronic signatures. I think it's really quite interesting um, because it just shows how we're moving into the future. But that's a, that's a whole other topic, but it's worth looking up if people aren't aware of it. But I thought that was quite interesting to see it come out. Right, let's talk to our guests. Let's talk about core sustainability and um, Let's, what is Dan? What is core sustainability? I'm going to show everyone your website as, as you as you let me just show everyone they can find it. Nice website, by the way, very nice, very colorful, if I may say. Dan, 
Oh, very much. Are you there? It seems to have frozen. We tried. We tried to make it bright. Can you hear us? Okay. We got. We got a bit of delay. Yeah, your your okay. your, line, your yeah, line's thanks. gone. Your line's gone slightly, but um. Okay, I'll come forward to the camera a little bit. That's Can better. You hear us now? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, thank thanks for the introduction, Neil. Um, so I am Daniel Motlake from Core Sustainability. I am the director and founder of Core Sustainability. Um, just a bit of background to myself. Um, I qualified in in 1999 with an estates management degree. Um, I then went to um, Savoy Stewart, um, who are a firm of chartered surveyors. I worked there for several years. Um, stay there, became a partner. Um, in 2009, I decided to leave Savoy Stewart um, and set up my own um, energy company. Um, which the first introduction into it was basically undertaking commercial EPC assessments. Obviously my background was um, commercial property, so it was pretty much uh, an easy slipstream in for me to understand commercial property. Um, I, then, I then set up core sustainability, and what core sustainability are, are there a niche practice which is involved in sustainability and energy reduction. Um, we're very much looking at um, the government legislation. There's quite a lot of government legislation. Um, funny, we were talking about Brexit before, and obviously a lot of the legislation is derived from the EU. However, it has been enshrined now into UK law. So a lot of this is all still moving forward. Um, we're looking at the global targets um, and also basically my own general desire, maybe not to save the planet, um, for ourselves, but maybe for, for my children and their children in the future. It's quite something that I'm quite into. Um, we do have a range of services that we offer, um, but cut me off if you if you get too bored of this running through them. But no, I, didn't, uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know part of your service was saving the planet. That's quite impressive. Well, they do they do call me Superman as well, but <laughs> Okay, we'll add that later on. We don't, um, have, that, on, we don't have that on our list at Singavel of one of the, our features, actually. We should think about that, guys. I think. <laughs> I think maybe wearing your underpants on the outside of your shirt and tie, might, uh, your your trousers and, and tie might be. Uh, you know, okay, I'll, 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 we'll take that under consideration. Yes. Okay. Um, All right. So, just in terms of what we offer now, we offer commercial and residential EPCs. Uh, for existing buildings and new build buildings. Uh, we offer SAP assessments, which is on the um, on the new build. We offer energy statements, which go with planning, where you need to improve your building in terms of energy efficiency ahead of building regulations. Uh, we deal with behavioral change. So we go into companies and we advise them on how to make their, their how their staff should work to make them more energy efficient. Simple things such as switching your lights off all the way through to technical implementations. We deal with the energy saving opportunity scheme, which is just about to come round. About 10,000 odd companies uh, meet the qualification criteria and we need to audit these companies in terms of energy, uh, reduce their carbon assessments. Um, we deal with ISO 50001, which is the environmental standards to try and lower carbon emissions and energy usage. And finally, to tie it all in, since we're involved in the property industry, we deal with um, land registry um, compliant plans, 
So that's a little bit about core sustainability. Okay, right. Dan, um, Sivan, do you want to tell us about Michael Con's gold, gold Sobel? Michael Con Gold Sobel. We're a, um, we're sort of a, a, a small West End practice law firm. Um, we're a, we've been around for on these sixty years. Well, not me personally, but uh, in various forms, we've been around for that. Um, we're a full service firm, so we main, main focus is on property. So uh, the largest department is the property department. Uh, we do a lot of corporate work, sort of high-end corporate work as well, and um, a contentious department, sort of a uh, litigation contentious. Again, most of the corporate and the litigation tends to be property focused. Um, I've been a partner there for about six or seven years now. Um, I am a property lawyer, mainly focusing on uh, corporate property. So I'm a lot of uh, landlord and tenant work, um, transactional work as well, um, a, a, a full variety of. Okay, so right. So uh, if you want a lawyer in the West End, we're going to introduce you to Sivan. Yeah. If you want, if you want, if you want to save, if you want to yeah. save the planet, we're going to introduce you to Dan. Right. So let's talk about Dan's going to Dan and Sivan are going to tell us all about something called. The minimum energy efficiency standards. Do you know what I found? I felt a bit like Ali G then. You know when he says that at the beginning, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to talk about, right? So we're going to talk about minimum energy efficiency standards, March 2018. What is it and what does it do? Guys? Correct. They came in as April 2018, the minimum energy efficiency standards. Um, and what they are is that basically we've all we've all seen and hopefully you guys and people who are listening to us have come across EPCs, the energy performance certificates, before. Um, these EPCs arrived and they generally use your dishwasher and washing machine from an eight. Any consider the tape, not that um, looking at uh, any agents in particular, but general feeling is that a lot of it can be considered red tape. However, the government has committed to... Oh, you're frozen. Improve Guys, you're frozen. Think carb, uh, do need your... You know what, somebody... So can, you, can you not hear us at all? Can you hear us? Someone's obviously downloading a film in your office. <laughs> um, that's better you're back you're back go back okay. go back to um all right so, so what, what, what what is it and why is it so important so the regulations mean that if you have an epc as an f or g you cannot currently let out your property under a new transaction starting from april 2018. now that has a huge impact on the property market bearing in mind that some properties may be unlettable, subject to certain exemptions. So we have a real problem here that actually if a landlord has a building and he can't let the property, it's going to have an impact not only on his, on his rental, but also on the capital value as well of that property. Now, a huge, there are a huge amount of, I know we're going to discuss hopefully shortly on it, but as of April 2000, hammer comes down and it means that all existing tenancies which are F and G rated EPCs will no longer be, be able to be let in the market and could potentially be subject to some penalties which I think we may discuss later on. 
Yeah. What? So, how does this? How do EPC ratings work? So the way the way it happens, I mean, a lot of people think, oh yeah, there's a terrible old shed there, tin pot shed. That's going to be a terrible rated building. However, even there, you do up with what actually goes inside of an EP, what actually goes inside of a property more than anything else. So actually, you could have a terrible, you could have a terrible property, um, and actually improve it to a reasonable level through doing certain internal installations to it. Um, some of them are quite cost effective, such as lighting changes can have a dramatic effect on EPC outcome, um, heating, for example, um, a number of factors really. But EPCs derive from undertaking an inspection, modelling it in the 3D software, creating that, that model with all the inputs put in from every, every facet that needs to go into such as HVACs and hot water, um, insulation levels, building ages, etc. You put this into the program and it will look at, it will reveal a rating, um, it will spin the wheel and reveal a, weight, a rating to you which is comparable against other buildings of the said age and what's expected against it. So you'll come out with a rating of A to G, uh, as we've said with F and G, the worst ratings. Okay. And, um, what was interesting, because I read an article that you guys had written, and in fact, again, people should actually have a, I'll, should have a, a look at this article. It's on your website, actually. It's on the Course Assembly website. It's called The Stick That Became a Carrot. And what was interesting when you were talking about EPCs is the effect it's going to have on values of properties going forward. And um, what happens if your property is downgraded, although it's currently graded okay at the moment, I think it might be quite helpful if you could explain to people what happens to a landlord and a tenant who've taken a lease and suddenly find that their rating assessment has changed because it's got it's, I think it's got quite a significant impact yeah I think there's a lot of there's a lot of legal implications for it as well um, I mean what one one aspect which I've uh, written quite sort of uh, uh, quite a lot on is the impact on things like rent review. I mean, what will then happen if you've got an existing lease? Uh, it's come up for rent review. We've got the standard sort of rent review clause that it's um, open open market rents, um, assuming that the property could could be let. If the tenant then suddenly turns around and says, "Well, hold on a minute, you've got an F and a G rating property. You can't actually let this property in the open market." What would then happen on the rent review? Could the could the tenant, for example, argue that there should be no increase in the rent? Um, and that's matters which I think are going to make this very very tactical. How landlords and tenants sort of um, view view this? I don't think so much is going to be uh, on the initial stage of the transaction. I think things like rent review, um, break clauses, things like that are going to have a major can have a major sort of implications. Also, how would a valuer a rent reviewer uh surveyor how would he value a property the same property as the one next door if one's got an a rated uh and one's got an f and a g so you're going to come into it so it's not just for new lettings although the legislation currently only applies to new lettings it's going to have a major impact on existing leases and um, certainly older style leases where the draftsman who drafted the lease wouldn't have anticipated this type of legislation coming in. So I can see in the future a lot of sort of tactical um, 
battles between landlords and tenants. So I'm, whereby assuming, t- so I'm assuming at the moment that if you're if it's an old lease and your property doesn't meet the required regulatory standards, the landlord's got no right to go in and do any works to the premises because he's let it to the tenant. The tenant's responsible for the property under an FRI lease. So the landlord can't actually improve even if he wanted to. So Correct. Absolutely correct. But the, the, at this stage, the, the landlord wouldn't be in breach of the regulations because it's only on the granting of the lease where, where he becomes where he falls foul of the regulations. So at the moment, the landlord doesn't have an issue. But where he could potentially have an issue, as I mentioned a few moments ago, is, is on things like rent review and yeah. a lease renewal. Well, this um, exactly could so it, could it, the tenant surveyor, so the tenant argues there's no, I'm not increasing, there's no market for my property. Meanwhile, the landlord can't do anything about it to put it into a state which gives it a proper rating. Correct. Has there, anybody, Correct. Has there been any cases about this yet? Not yet, and which we are eagerly looking forward to because um, as, uh, as, uh, as lawyers, that's what we sort of, um, sort of pays the bills. But we're looking forward to that type of thing. So I think there will be a lot of contentious work over this. Uh, but, with, but nothing's yet been tried. So at the moment, it's very speculative how the courts will interpret it. But it's it certainly raises a lot of interesting um, arguments, a lot of interesting possible um, tactics to be used by both landlords and tenants. And those professional advisors, not just solicitors, surveyors as well, who are aware of the regulations, can actually really manipulate them to use them in their favour, depending on who they act for. Okay. Further to what Sivan, further what does Sivan say? Uh, Sivan and I have been speaking around the country at the RICS events, and what we found is we were approached by um, a couple of a couple of tenants, um, a couple of um, agents, uh, rent review surveyors acting for tenants, and basically what they said to me was, Dan, my tenants are in the building at the moment. The building has a C rating, but it was undertaken some years ago. Would you go in, because we don't believe it's a C rating anymore, would you go in and look at the EPC rating for us, what it should be? So we went in, we do a draft assessment, it comes out actually as a G rating. Now the tenant then turns around to the landlord and takes the G rating to him and says, Mr. Landlord, if you don't um, give us a, help us with a decent rent review here, I'm going to slap this G rating on your building and you won't be able to let the building. So what are you going to do about it? How are we going to play this, Mr. Landlord? So there's all these different tactics, basically, that, that we've been speaking about. So we're doing a lot of draft EPC work at the moment, which is not just purely about transactional, but is also looking about where the properties currently sit, because this is the biggest problem we've got. An EPC rating lasts for 10 years. Now, if you did a valuation, would you rely on a, valu- would you rely on a valuation from eight years ago? No, you wouldn't. This is a face value at this moment and this time. So. For instance, if you don't mind me giving you another quick example, no, you got, no. um, we, we were asked to undertake an inspection of an office building in Houston. Certificate was undertaken in 2009. Uh, client said to us, Dan, have refurbished one of the floors here. I said, okay. So we went in, we did the assessment on it. Yep, it was updated in certain ways. We looked at the EPC rating, it came out as a G. So that floor had gone from a C to a G. Now, we only did it in draft format. The landlord said to us, whatever you do, my short-term play is to sell this building, so I don't want the G rating on my building. So it's great, I know that you've got a G rating there, sat there, down, but at the end of the day, don't put it on because I've got two years left on my EPC. He then maybe sold that building later down the line, but buyer beware. 
they don't know that sat behind that C rating and that building is a G rating with a huge amount of inherent liability. And we're seeing this more and more and more. So actually, what Sivan's doing, and uh, he's advising his clients upon transactions to undertake a new EPC um, with a recognized energy assessor, because what we're finding is, you know, we are chartered surveyors, we have to respond to the RICS, we've got regulations in place, we have, we have huge indemnity insurance that we've taken out separately, which many, which many, many um, assessors don't have. So if we give the wrong recommendations, then obviously we've got that bit we've got that insurance behind us as well. But in terms of what we found is we've gone into we've picked up so many cases where EPC assessors have gone in, done the rating incorrectly, given a G. We've actually been in, and because we spend a lot of time on site and we take down absolutely every detail, we've actually managed to improve those ratings to a higher level, a D or an E, just by literally going back inside the property again and re-rating it. And the reason is is because we have a duty to our clients to make sure that we get the best rating for them. So a lot of EPC assessors will run around. It's been a market where it's been dominated by who can do this the cheapest, whereas now where it actually means something in terms of capital value, people are actually spending money on it now because they don't want to get stuck with a building which is an F and G, where in the space of spending maybe a few hundred pound extra of actually using someone who's going to do a quality job for them, they're going to get the proper answer from it. Yeah. Okay. Add on to that as well, just again, just sort of put a legal angle into it. Um, I, as a sort of rule, I almost completely disregard any uh, any EPC which is carried out pre-2012. I mean, any, anything like that is just not worth the paper it's written on. It just gives you no indication as to what the true value of the building is. Um, and the worry we have, obviously, is, is clients going in, buying a building, thinking they've got an A or a B, um, which is sort of seven, eight year old EPC, going, when they go to renew the EPC, finding out it's an actually an F and a G. So the golden rule we have is literally anything 2012 forget. Um, but you know, even things, unless it's sort of two or three years, we certainly would advise our clients to just get, get a full understanding of what the actual rating is lying behind the, uh, the current EPC. So I think it's, uh, it's not just on, on lettings, it's all sort of transactions that are, um, I got a question. The banks are getting really keen on this as well now. Can I ask a question? Can I ask a question? Of course. I've got a question. I'm, I've got your your screen is uh, frozen, so I'm showing people your lovely pictures as you're talking. All right. Oh, no, thank you. So, so um, my question is, what happens if a landlord owns a property and it comes to the end of the lease and it's got a bad rating, but it's uneconomic to spend money on it to make it? Um, to put it up to a C, is it a C it needs to be? Is it what's the lowest it has to be? It needs to be minimum level of e. e. So what if it's uneconomic yeah. to spend the money? Are they just not allowed to, to just have to sit vacant? Well, there, well there, there are certain exemptions. I think Dan probably you'll 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 give a brief example of what the exemptions are. But um, you can't simply unless you can compl um, comply with the exemptions listed, you can't simply refuse to um, Bring your property up simply because it's uneconomical. That's one of the uh, the burdens of owning of owning a property. Um, there is the, the one ex exemption that may well apply is the seven year payback, uh, which um, it, I think it's, it's basically if the cost of carrying out that works cannot be recovered over the next seven years by the energy savings, you can then apply for an exemption. But to, but if you fail to meet the criteria for the seven year payback, you can't simply say. It's too costly for me. I'm, I'm afraid that's 
one of the problems with owning only property in this country. We've got a, a perfect example. A perfect example of that. I've got a client who recently owned a West End property. Um, they had a three, four story building um, in there and the lighting was pretty ordinary. We went in, it was a G rating. The lighting alone would not take it to, we, we came back and we did what's called an EPC improvement audit or report. And we showed the client by doing certain steps, they'll get to the rating that they need to get to. Client went ahead, priced that up. It's shown in this instance that the lighting itself will not get the property up to the level it was required. It'd have to install air, install air conditioning. Now the client said to us, Dan, I want to go for an exemption on this because that cost is going to be thousands of pounds and I don't believe it's going to make any, you know, it's, it's unviable for us to do and we're not going to meet the seven-year payback rule where it pays itself back. So we went through the exercise, we, we went out for quotations, we did, we did the actual um, calculations on file and we actually found it would pay itself back in four years' time. So unfortunately, the client had to undertake those, those installations, um, whether he liked it or not, in order to let that property. So it's part and part of the, the property world now. There are, there are these inherent liabilities. Okay, you have to do it. All right, I've got a question from Rob Simmons. Rob says, post-Brexit, what will be the impact on EPCs? Um, well, the EPCs, the, the regulations are all now uh, UK law. It's, it's, uh, they've all now been uh, adopted by Parliament, passed through Parliament. So I don't think Brexit will have any impact on this. I think it's... Uh, it's knees is here and it's here to stay and uh, I, I believe we're all going to have to comply with. I mean, the current government are quite keen to, well, as you say, to be seen to be sort of uh, moving towards a, a green uh, a green economy and we, we are always the ones sort of hoping to be sort of the market leaders. I don't think that they would, uh, certainly they wouldn't revoke the, the knees regulations. I don't think Brexit is going to have any impact whatsoever on it. Um, it may slow down future legislation, as I'm sure the government's got a little bit more important things to worry about, but it certainly won't have a uh, have an impact on the current regulations. Okay, I've got a question. Uh, I've got, oh, Dale. I've got a question from a transactional... I've got, I've got a question from a transactional perspective. So the law says you cannot sell or let a building if you've got an EPC rating lower than E. Presumably the transaction can still take place but you will just be subject to penalties they can't actually prevent the transaction taking place i presume uh right i think you're, you're cutting out slightly now oh um okay so just briefly if 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 you if you ignore can you hear me <laughs> hello can you hear me oh they've gone you there, Dan? Yeah, I can hear yeah. you. Okay, so if 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 you ignore if you if you ignore the regulations and you go ahead and transact, you sell a property which has got a a, a G rating. What? what you, presumably, they can't prevent the transaction from occurring. You just hit get hit with penalties or fines. Um, yeah, I think firstly, I think a lot of it's going to be self-regulated. I think as lawyers. Um, I don't think a lawyer can knowingly complete a transaction. I'm, at the moment, it's just lettings. It's only on lettings. It's not an actual sale. Uh, you can own your own building and, um, if it doesn't apply. But on lettings, I don't think a lawyer can knowingly breach the regulations. I mean, in effect, you, you're, um, you're, I consider you're falling foul of the law 
that leases knowingly that it breaches regulation. So you've got a lot of the self-regulation stuff. But uh, absolutely, if if they go ahead and deal with it, let's say it gets past that stage, then the the, the penalties are severe. Uh, is it 150, 150, 150, 150, yeah. So it's uh, is it's per per. Uh, yeah, per, per, uh, per per issue really. So per property in reality, yeah, you can it, it, it can be combined upwards. And the problem you've got on a transactional thing, Dale, is that. Um, if you're selling a building, G rating on it, and say it's a short term, say it's got short term left on the lease, whoever's put take that into consideration that possibly they're going to have to spend money to bring the building up to standard before they're able to relet that building again. So it is going to hit, it is going to hit the transactional sales. I mean, longer term leases, maybe not so. You know, EPCs have only got a ten-year period, and a lot of those are already coming up for renewal because they've been they date back to two thousand and eight. Um, so really, it's about getting your ducks in order earlier on, so that you've got a, a case to state. So if you're selling a build, my advice would be if you were selling a building with a short-term lease on it, have an EPC assessor uh, such as Core Sustainability um, to go into your property. The issues are and say okay. Take advice back to yourselves and say, we are selling this building, but I want you to know that the only reason it's failing and biting, so really the cost is a few hundred pounds or a few thousand pounds to replace it, and you're going to get to where, where, where you want to get to with it. Because seeing a cheese is going to just, the, the, the eyes are just going to light up thinking there's a real issue here, when in many cases there may not be a real issue. So it's better for you to be sort of information so that you can speak to potential purchasers about what those issues are. Just one thing cannot be underestimated is, is, is the banks, uh, the banking finance. We had a situation pre-MES uh, last year whereby we were selling a property, uh, nothing, the, the property failed, would have failed MES, although MES hadn't come into force yet. I think it was an F Can you hear us? Very badly. Can they stop watching that movie again? All right. I'm going to. I've got a great question for you. All right. We got, Can you hear us? I've got a great question. We can hear you fine. Okay. It must be something. I don't know what it may be. Maybe you haven't paid your bill. Anyway, let, let's, can I, I've got a question for you, right? Does, how do, have residential properties have got to have an EPC, haven't they? Yeah. Okay, so here's a, here's a real life example. Here's a real life question for you. I hope you can hear us and we can get a response. So my house is a 1920s house in North London. And I'm thinking of doing a loft conversion. Right, because it's got a 1960s loft up there with a very with a 1960s staircase and no insulation. So in the summer it's boiling and in the winter it's freezing up there. So we're about to sort of try and do some work to get the thing looking nice. So am I? Do I have to do the work? Because clearly, I mean, without me, I would imagine it would have a rubbish rating if I was selling my house. But am I? Do I have to do the work? And number two, will the government pay for it? 
Okay, residential is uh, residential EPs sees that, and the legislation is very different to commercial. Oh yeah, um, Pat, we can see you again. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so it's very diff completely different to the commercial. It's a bit of a cop out in the residential field that there are exemptions that almost if you have to put your hand in your pocket to pay for things, you can apply for an exemption. So if there are no grants out there at the moment, or if there are no, no ways of, of green funding this, then you are allowed to apply for an exemption to be at an EPC rating that is F and G, um, as long as you make a declaration online for this. They are thinking about increasing this figure to two and a half thousand pounds. But in the scheme of things, residential is very easy to make compliant. It's they're very basic factors. You're not going you've not got any ventilation. You've not it's seen really my loft. <laughs> Um, so you've got really any high tech any high tech kit up there which you do in the commercial. So it's only really boilers and radiators and lighting and insulation and stuff that, that, that that's going to make a difference. It's very limited in, in what you actually need to do. So in many, many instances, and we're dealing with a lot of clients at the moment where we've made uh, we've made references to a few measures that will actually take them to, to where they need to get to. And even though they could avoid, they could literally be exempt from it, um, they think it's best to comply. But do you think Maybe it's going to affect house sales? Uh, it's, it's hard to say because I think, there's, I think there's greater factors affecting house sales at this moment in time to be taken into account. So I think it's probably down the line, but I do envisage if we take if we take like for like, and one house costs I don't know a hundred pounds to run and it's an A rating, and another house takes a thousand pounds to run because it's a G rating, and the houses are side by side, the cost of occupation may have an impact on what their mortgage repayments are going to be because they could save nine hundred pounds, uh, etc. per month. We're talking obviously bigger figures here, but I, I do see it very much in the commercial sector when we have an office building side by side with another, and one's an A rated and one's say an F or a G rating, we are going to have a discrepancy in rents down the line because I think the tenant would much prefer to be in a more environmentally friendly, economical building rather than an old, older dilapidated. The impact is going to be far greater commercial sector, I think, in, in my personal view. I think uh, people will will buy houses because that's where they want to live. I'm not sure how how how. I mean, it will have an impact, but I'm not sure how much an impact it will will have. That's just my personal view. I think it's. And it's much more, the actual legislation is much tougher than the commercial, it can have much more of an impact. Okay, so can I just, can I just sort of, it's been very helpful, very interesting, can I just uh, sort of round up actually on this side? So in terms of you guys helping people who um, want some advice about energy efficiency and the, what's it called again? The, the, the M, the whatever, the, the meme. Memes. The meme thing. <laughs> The means they should contact us or con we'll put them in touch with you guys if you need to mm -hmm. if you need a, some legal advice or you need some actual advice in terms of your buildings in fact i would i don't i will i don't mind telling everyone we use daniel a lot um when we're selling property and he's great so he's always very helpful so if you want any help if any agents out there need help in selling properties and you need an epc rating Daniel's your man. Um, 
and we haven't yet worked with um, we haven't yet worked with Sivan, but um, anyone who's working in Queen Anne Street is good with me because I I worked there for years. Right, can I change subject now? I'd like to talk about something else. And other than EPCs, I want to talk about something else. And everyone can throw in, everyone can add. So, as people know, I'm very into technology and I'm very into blockchain. And I wrote an article which was published in the Property Week last Friday, which was headed, The Fast Emergence of Blockchain Technology Could Kill Off the Traditional Ballroom Auction. And I just thought it was worth... Um, explaining myself why I why I wrote this article and I wasn't trying to do it to um, go head-to-head -head with our competitors who are the auctioneers but it was a genuine reason to explain why the ballroom auction will not exist and it will not exist within say two years in, in two years time there will not be ballroom auctions I'm absolutely convinced of it now the reason I would have always said before is that technology is changing so fast the people don't need to go to a ballroom anymore. They can bid on their phone. They can bid. Um, they, 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 they can, the technology is such you don't need to be there anymore. You can be bidding in Australia and an auction in London. And it's, it's very transparent if it's all online because you're bidding with same people in the same environment. If you talk to an auctioneer, they will tell you people love going to auctions because they can see what's going on. Well, that's simply not true. We get loads of buyers who come to us. And private investors find the auction room incredibly intimidating. Plus, they have to hang around all day long waiting for people to bid in the waiting for their lot to come up. And the chances are they won't get it anyway. So the people who love going to auctions are the dealers. If you go to an auction house, you'll see at the back of the room the dealers who um, chatting amongst themselves, and they love an auction because they think they can, the, only, the fact that dealers are there is proof that they think they can buy something cheaply. Now that wasn't why I think ballrooms are going to close. I think the reason ballrooms are going to close is because blockchain technology is going to close it. Now, in the world that we are now living in, people demand transparency, accountability, audit trails more and more than they ever did before. Now, blockchain technology is the ultimate in providing trust and transparency in any, in any transaction because once data goes into a blockchain ledger, that data cannot be changed. So if you are selling a building, what we do at Click to Purchase is we move that contract into a blockchain ledger as absolute proof that that transaction has occurred if anybody were in theory able to hack in and change a system the blockchain ledger would prove that the transaction was at the original price so i believe that auction rooms cannot provide that level of transparency they cannot provide audit trails because the bidding's all verbal and therefore, I think that the very reason that, block, that ballrooms will not exist any longer is not to do with the fact that people find them intimidating and it's easy to bid on your phone. It's because they cannot provide an accountable audit trail. And I believe that blockchain technology, which is coming in at such a rapid pace into all areas of our lives, is the fundamental reason why people demand accountability and demand audit trails. And hence, the ballroom auction will no longer exist. And I'm absolutely convinced. And if anybody wants to play, place a bet with me, I will take bets all day long that in two years' time, there will not be ballroom auctions. What do you think of that? Have you got any clients who sell at auction? Uh, I've certainly got a few who buy at auction. Uh, we've got a few who, who sell at auction as well. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying as well. I, I think it's... Um, I also think... Um, it, it's something about auctions rooms. It's it, it's it's very much the 
uh, I, almost, I wouldn't say old-fashioned, but it's very much, a lot of people just don't like the idea of an auction. They haven't got the time to just go there, sit there for half a day, and then, then, then make their bids. I think people generally prefer the technology and actually deal with it online, and I agree. I mean, I've, I was actually having this conversation something similar uh, a couple of months ago with a client as well who, was simply, who said something similar to what you were saying, uh, that they just don't see the point in auctions. They just simply think it's all going to be online. Um, not necessarily because of the technology, but more because he thinks that's what people's preferences will be. But I, 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 I think auction properties. I agree with you. I think it's, it. I think it's a bit of a myth as well. You get great deals at auction. I, I'm not totally convinced that's always true as well. And a lot of my clients tell me that as well. I think you sometimes get more problematic properties at auction, but I don't think you necessarily get good deals. But yeah, I agree. I think it will. Uh, um, I, it, it's a dying, dying way of selling. I think. Well, what's interesting, and Dale and Dale and Ed will back me up on this. The thing about auctions is they bring speed and certainty to the sales process. That's why people go. Click to purchase. The online way that you can buy a by private treaty brings speed and certainty to the sales process, and it's simple as that. So if you can find a process that gets past the auction room, if the auction room is no longer a place where you, as a vendor, can get m maximum price, then why would why would you possibly go? The only yeah. reason you go is for speed and certainty. Click to purchase. We've done 200 million of sales online now where somebody literally makes an offer, presses a button, and the deal gets exchanged like that. So why do you need to go to an auction? In fact, if you've got any clients, I happen to mention this, but any clients who would like to learn about the transparency and accountability that click to purchase and blockchain can offer, we'd love to come and talk to you. Put them in touch. And if they want the most money for their sales as well. Right, so it's nearly 2 o'clock. I think... Any other business? Anyone else? No? No, I don't think so. You don't want to mention, don't, no, nobody wants to talk about Diana but Diana but on the tube yesterday? No? <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> okay, guys, well, look, that's it then. That's it. I think we're done. Ed, anything? Anything? As uh, a youngster? Well, I was going to ask about you. I was going to ask, but it might take a while, about the energy saving opportunities, given how that's different from the EPCs. And it's basically for corporates, is it? It's kind of so, what I understood. So ESOS, the energy saving opportunity scheme, it comes around every four years. The first cycle was four years ago. We were actively involved in it. And what it does is it takes certain companies, not, not their assets. But, well, we'll come to the assets in a second. It doesn't just revolve around property. What it does is it looks at them based on their financial situation, see if they qualify or the amount of staff. Now, if these people, if these companies qualify, there's roughly about 10,000 companies, they then need to undertake a full audit on their properties, their transportation, which could be cars, it could be um, predominantly cars, it could be vans, it could be um, trains, whatever they, whatever they use their, their workforce for, and also industrial process. And what, they have, what we have to do from our point of view um, as assessors is we need to actually look at those, look at that company and we need to audit 90% of their energy consumption. So that most of the time that tends to be um, their buildings and their transportation. Then we look at their buildings and we create individual reports for them about how they can improve those properties, where they currently are in those properties, looking at how they can move those properties forward in terms of energy efficiency, the recommendations including renewables, um, and then the transport thing. We look at how many cars they use. Could they upgrade different cars to different cars? Could they put their drivers on safe driving courses, driving courses to make the car more efficient? Could they be using um, go away from petrol straight directly to electricity rather than hybrid? 
Um, then we put this all together in the format and it goes to the environment agency and gets submitted online. And it's a breakdown of where they are. Now, we were interviewed, um, audited, I should say, by the environment agency uh, with one of our clients. And um, we were on the phone for a couple of hours and we passed and with no, with no problems. A lot of companies had to do remedial action. Um, and what, what we found out just generally looking at statistics and stuff like that is the recommendations we've made or other companies have made, a lot of companies have taken those on board. So in their buildings, they might have changed their light heating systems, they may have put in new glazing, they may have put sensors, just various different recommendations and it's actually quite good to look back on your work for think, yeah, that has really made an improvement to, to those industries. Because what, what, the, what the thinking behind it was, the biggest companies are going to create the most carbon dioxide, it's going to create. It's going to um, be more. To, that's going to be more harmful to global warming and climate change. So therefore, we'll focus on the bigger companies. And um, so that's where we are. And that's within the next year. They've got to do a full submission again. EPCs is purely um, looking at an individual property. There are what's called display energy certificates, which are also a measure of the property's efficiency, but on a different basis. It actually uses the gas and electricity bills to work out how much energy a property is using whereas an epc is based on is based basically on a theoretical uh, some a lot of theoretical assumptions so in my it, it, uh, my belief is that in terms of means and the legislation it shouldn't be based on an epc because it's not the best tool to be using um to work out how efficient a, a property is it should be based more on the display energy certificate um, and the, the, the accreditation bodies are in discussion at the moment looking at the viability of EPCs and seeing the future of them and how to improve them to make them more relevant to people and to parties who, who use them. Okay. Very interesting, thanks. Okay, good. Great. Okay, guys, look. So, two o'clock nearly. I think we're done. I think we're done. That's great. That's great. So, look, thank you very much. Um, it, it, really interesting. I didn't know much about EPCs before, other than that we had to have them. <laughs> yeah, but but if anybody wants to um, talk to Dan um, or Sivan, please uh, make contact with us, and we'll put you in direct touch or contact them directly. Um, but that's it. Thanks very much. So, thanks for having you on your show. Yeah, we'll we'll promote on social media. Everyone can find it. Remember, podcast. If you want to listen to us on a podcast the way home, you're able to do so. If you would like a CPD certificate, let us know. We can issue a CPD certificate. But funnily enough, most people don't ask for CPD certificates, so they must find what we talk about quite interesting. So there you are. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, good. Thank you very much, guys. We will tell everybody our next um, guest, which hopefully will be a leading retailer in a, in a couple of weeks' time, one of the, one of the few retailers who seems to buck the trend at the moment. So um, I will hopefully have that sorted out for you shortly. So we'll be in touch. So thank you very much, guys. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Dale. Thanks, guys. And, thanks, everyone. And thanks, Ed. And, thanks very much. Um, have a good weekend. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye.